As we approach Easter, I thought it would be appropriate for us to take a session and think about the connection between Jesus and the Passover. Now, of course, the first Passover took place in the Old Testament, specifically in the book of Exodus in chapter 12. The Passover happened when God sent the last of the 10 plagues on the nation of Egypt as he was bringing judgment on the Egyptians and was about to bring the people of Israel out of slavery and out of the nation of Egypt. And that 10th plague was the death of the firstborn sons uh, of the Egyptians. But God told his people, the people of Israel, to slaughter a lamb, uh, typically one per family, one per household, and to take the blood of that lamb and put it over the doorposts of their house, and then to roast that lamb and eat it on that night. And all those families who had the blood of the lamb put on their doorposts, God would pass over them, or the judgment God had sent would pass over them. That's where the name comes from, Passover. And then it was, again, on that night that, that Pharaoh finally told the people of Israel to go and let them go, and they left, uh, they left Egypt. And that moment was, of course, the greatest act of salvation, the greatest moment of redemption in the Old Testament. And it sets up the even greater moment of salvation and redemption in the New Testament, uh, which, of course, takes place through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And those two events, the Passover in Exodus 12 and the death and resurrection of Jesus in the New Testament, those two things are tied more closely together than perhaps you have noticed. Um, and when we do start to notice the connection, it helps us uh, see more clearly and more fully who Jesus is and what he was accomplishing through his death and resurrection. So let's start with this. What is the connection between uh, Jesus and Passover? One of the first connections we see in the Gospels, in the New Testament, is uh, that Jesus went up to Jerusalem with his family each year at Passover. In Luke chapter 2, verse 41, this is one of the, the rare glimpses we get into Jesus's childhood. We read about his birth, and then we read about his ministry, uh, you know, life, death, resurrection as a, as a man, like as a, as a grown man, an adult. But for his childhood, there's very, very little in the New Testament. But this is one of the things we read about his childhood. Luke 2, 41 says, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. So again, we don't know much about Jesus' childhood, but we do know that the Passover feast was a regular part of his childhood. His family went up to Jerusalem each year to celebrate the Passover. This is something, by the way, the Passover meal was something the Jews uh, were to continue to celebrate after the first Passover, right, at, at the Exodus, from then on, they were to be celebrating the Passover year by year. Now, they didn't always do it, right? But that's what they were supposed to be keeping that feast year by year. And Jesus' family was observing that feast year by year uh, during his childhood, going up to Jerusalem at the time of the Passover. Now, when we do fast forward to Jesus' 
um, death, or uh, it's about to, he's about to die, about to go to the cross, um, Jesus himself ties his death to the Passover feast. For example, in Matthew 26, verse 2, Jesus says to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. So Jesus knew that his death was going to take place at the time of the Passover. And more than that, Jesus, when he shared a last meal with his disciples uh, before his death, the meal that he shared with them was a Passover meal, or the Passover meal, right? So here's what Luke says about it. Luke 22, verses 7, uh, starting verse 7, and then uh, I'll go down to verse 16, but I'll, I'll, I'll skip some of the verses there in the middle. But Luke says this, he says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. Right? So Jesus is telling his disciples it's almost Passover time, right? or it is, it is Passover time more or less. And he tells his disciples, uh, a couple of his disciples, go get the Passover meal ready for us. So then uh, later it says, and they went and found it just as he had told them. He'd given them instructions about where to go and whatnot. And they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, notice this, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So the last meal, the last supper that Jesus shared with his disciples was the Passover. It was a Passover meal. And Jesus longed to share that meal with his disciples before he went to the cross. And we get uh, some further understanding about why as he, in the middle of that meal, begins to tell them how he uh, is the fulfillment, Jesus is the fulfillment of that Passover meal. Right. So a little bit later, verse 19 and 20, it says that Jesus took bread, this is still the Gospel of Luke, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now, if we were to just read those verses by themselves, we might think, well, they would just happen to be having a, a meal of bread and wine that night. But that's not the case. Jesus was sharing the Passover meal with his disciples. Again, a meal that Jews had been eating together for centuries, remembering how God had delivered them, how God had brought them out of Egypt. And as they were eating that meal, Jesus took elements of that meal and said, this bread, it's my body. This cup right? It's my blood. The Passover is about me. In other words, he's saying the Passover is being fulfilled in him. It had always been pointing to him. We also see, and, I, and I'm not even, I'm not even uh, touching every verse that mentions the Passover and connects it to Jesus's death, but uh, as we move forward, after that meal with his disciples and Jesus is betrayed by Judas and uh, he goes before Pilate and, and all that, uh, there's further um, mention of the fact that what's taking place is happening at Passover. For example, Pilate in John chapter 18 says to the Jewish people, he says, You have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. Right? So each year, evidently at Passover, 
Pilate or whoever the governor was at that time was to release uh, one of the Jewish prisoners and let them go free, right? Um, and uh, I'm not sure how that tradition developed, but it's not hard to imagine, right? That um, with the Jews celebrating Passover as the time when God delivered them from their enemies, set them free, right? That they would want to have a way where Rome, who was their captor in a sense, um, their enemy in a sense, would release one of their people whom the Romans had taken prisoner at Passover. All right, so that's, whether that's how it developed or not, I don't know. But that's what was going on, that the, uh, the Roman governor each year at Passover was to release one of their prisoners. So Pilate reminds them, you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release for, to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. So Pilate is offering to release Jesus, but they don't want Jesus to be released. They want Barabbas to be released as well. You've heard that story, no doubt. Right? But have you thought about the fact that it's, it's connected to the Passover? It's something that took place each year at the Passover. Also, in Jesus' death, remember Jesus um, breathed his last, right? And he, he um, uh, you know, committed his spirit to God, and he died on the cross. And a lot of times, people would, um, we're told that people would um, live for quite a long time when they were crucified, that the suffering went on, and on and on and on and on. And on. But uh, Jesus' death was rather quick as far as that goes for, for a crucifixion. And uh, they wanted to get, the Jews wanted to get the bodies of the three men who were crucified, Jesus and the two men who were crucified on either side of him. They wanted those bodies to be removed because of the Passover. They didn't want them to stay up there um, for the Sabbath um, and whatnot. And so uh, they wanted those bodies taken down. And so uh, the soldiers came to examine the men uh, who had been crucified and if they were still alive they would break their legs so that they could no longer push up to breathe so that they would die more quickly but when they came to Jesus uh, this is what we read uh, or where we're told uh, that when they came to Jesus they discovered that he was already dead they uh, one of the soldiers shoved a spear in his side to confirm that fact right and blood and water flowed out and so they didn't break his legs because it wasn't necessary because he was already dead. And then John tells, tells us this about that. John 19, 36. He says, For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Now what is that referring to? What scripture is he saying is fulfilled by Jesus' bones not being broken in his crucifixion? Well, uh, one of the scriptures, at least, that he has uh, in mind is uh, Exodus 12:46, which is instructions about how the Passover lamb is supposed to be uh, handled at the Passover. And it says this, It shall be eaten in one house, you shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. Right? Jesus is the Passover lamb. He dies at Passover time after eating a Passover meal that he says is fulfilled in him and he dies like the Passover lamb with none of his bones being broken. And in case we missed it, right, Paul states this as plainly as you possibly could in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7 
He says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb. He is the fulfillment of the Passover feast. Right? And what do we learn from all that? By, by making that connection, by noticing that the, the gospel writers are telling us over and over, and Jesus himself is telling his disciples, this that's about to happen to me, his death and resurrection, this is all connected to the Passover. What do we take away from noticing that connection? Well, first thing is this. If Jesus is our Passover lamb, like Paul says, then that means if we are in Christ, if we are covered by his blood, then God's judgment passes over us. That was the whole point of the first Passover, right? That if they put the blood of the lamb over their doorposts, then God's judgment would pass over them. Their firstborn sons would not die. If we are in Christ and his blood covers us, then God's judgment passes over us. That's what Paul uh, is saying in a different way in, in uh, Romans 8.1 when he says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God's judgment will not fall upon you for condemnation if you are in Christ because his blood covers you. God's judgment will pass over you. Second thing is, as great as the Exodus was, as dramatic and powerful and amazing of an act of deliverance and salvation as the Exodus was, Christ's salvation is greater. Right? The fulfillment is always greater than what prepared us for it. Right? The fulfillment is always grander, more significant than the preparation, right? Than the, uh, what we might call the, the type, right? That pointed forward to it. So um, was the Exodus a amazing uh, deliverance, an amazing feat of rescue and salvation that God accomplished for his people? Absolutely. But Christ, as the fulfillment of the Passover, accomplishes a salvation that is even greater. His death and resurrection bring about an even greater salvation, right? a better salvation than the Exodus. What Jesus accomplished did not uh, merely allow a people to go free from their captors. Jesus' death sets people free from sin, sets people free from death through his resurrection. Right? He is the once-for-all sacrifice for the sins of his people, all who trust in him. So uh, his death and resurrection, his act of salvation is greater. The third thing that all this shows us is that God's um, plan for our salvation is, was more uh, detailed and uh, full of more wisdom than we noticed at first, right? This is, this is probably not the first thing that you learned uh, about uh, salvation, right? Usually we just hear about Jesus died, Jesus rose, he died for sinners, you can be saved, right? That's where we start. But as we come to know more and come to understand more about what God was doing and how he did it and the promises he made in the Old Testament and how those are fulfilled in Christ, and we begin to see all the ways the Bible describes what Christ accomplished, 
in his death. We, we, we grow in our awe and amazement at what God has accomplished. And when we see this connection between Jesus' death and the Passover, we see again with greater depth how wise, how detailed, how perfect God's plan was to bring about our salvation. It happened at just the right time, not only the right time in world history, but the right time of the year as Jesus went up to Jerusalem at the Passover, knowing that was the time when he would die. And that would communicate something about the significance of his death, what he was accomplishing. And the last thing is, it reminds us that God does not change. And what I mean by that is a couple of things. Uh, One is, uh, God works in patterns. We see God do the same kinds of things over and over and over in Scripture. And that should not surprise us because God is unchanging. God is immutable. God is faithful. And so uh, we see God do something like the Exodus, and then we see Jesus' death and resurrection, which is fulfilling the, the Passover Exodus event. And we shouldn't be surprised by that because God, the God of the Exodus, the God of the first Passover, is also the God who sent His Son, Christ, into the world to accomplish an even greater Exodus, an even greater uh, salvation as a more perfect Passover lamb. And uh, the other thing is that God hasn't changed his mind about whether or not sin matters, whether or not uh, he's going to judge sin, whether or not our sin needs to be dealt with in order for us to be saved. That hasn't changed. It's not as though in the Old Testament God said, for you to be delivered, you've got to kill a lamb and put the blood over the doorpost. In the New Testament, God said, yeah, forget about blood and judgment. That's just, everybody's fine. No. In order for us to experience full salvation, right, beyond what Israel received in the Exodus, being freed from their physical captors, right, the Egyptians, and brought into the Promised Land, for us to be freed from sin and death, to be brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, for us to be reconciled to God Himself and to be able to enter uh, the ultimate Promised Land, right, the new heavens and the new earth, the new creation, we needed something even more than the blood of a lamb, right? We needed the blood of the lamb of God, the son of God become man. We needed him to take our place, to shed his blood that we might be forgiven. So as we approach Easter, and perhaps you also hear about, uh, you know, it being uh, the time for the celebration of the Passover among the Jewish people, right? remember that this is something that the gospels make very clear for us that there is a connection between the Passover and the death of Jesus. It's not just a coincidence that they happen to fall around the same time on the calendar. Jesus died as the ultimate perfect Passover lamb that God's judgment might pass over you if you are in him. I hope and pray that you are. God bless.